So I, I think I see Robbie's got. Um, I thought in light of midterms, which are coming up next week for you all, I thought I'd start us off with some quotes about studying and education. Um, here's, here's one. He who devotes 16 hours a day to hard study may become at 60 as wise as he thought himself at 20. I really like that one because <laughs> I'm a lot closer to 60. But, you know. <laughs> So you have like three and a half, four hours left in the day to cram in 16 hours of studying, Jay. That's what you, yeah, yeah. Um, how about, a man, this is Teddy Roosevelt. A man who has never gone to school may steal from a freight car, but if he has a university education, he may steal the whole railroad. Spoken like, you know, a president during the robber baron era. This one is anonymous. Studying expands knowledge. Knowledge is power. Power corrupts. Corruption is a crime. Crime does not pay. So, why study? Maybe <laughs> post that one above your desk this weekend. I don't know. And then this is my favorite one, actually. Those who do not study are only cattle dressed up in men's clothes. It's a Chinese proverb. I don't exactly know what that means, but I think it means you, you should study this weekend. <laughs> Well, I, all the best as you do study for midterms to each of you. May God give you stamina and endurance and motivation for another week to face what you have to face this coming week. Um, and as if midterms, you know, the midterms that you're facing, as if that wasn't tough enough, um, I realize t- tonight's topic is a very tough one, too. It's the topic of the reality of evil and in particular God and his relationship with evil. I realize it's a weighty topic, uh, but it's always relevant. Always important. I mean, some of you tonight or tomorrow night, Sunday night, if you do questions for quesadillas, it's pretty much a guarantee there's going to be at least a handful of questions along these lines about God, suffering, evil in the world. Um, and, you know, and if you, when you, every a headline comes across uh, your screen, there are this, there's just so many that will constantly remind us of this particular topic. I mean, just recently... There, I just I did a scan. You know, this is a lot of times I'm in the in the car listening to the radio, and the, the stories come across or on the screen. A suspected chemical attack uh, on the civilians in Mosul, Iraq. U.S. Marines posting nude pictures of women, um, along with malicious and sexist comments. Uh, Jewish cemeteries being desecrated, um, and also minorities being threatened and, are, and attacked across our country. Car companies, this was a little while ago, but car companies who knew certain parts of the, you know, what they manufactured were prone to fail and cause injury, yet the engineers, the people, the administrators, and the, the leaders of the, that organization, that company, they ignored that, and they hid that information from their customers. Um, you know, so if you've ever asked the question, you know, how can a good God allow these kinds of evil, well, you're absolutely not alone. God's people have asked that very question throughout generations, and one such person that did that was the prophet, Hab- prophet Habakkuk. And we're going to, yeah, so Habakkuk, persevering faith. Habakkuk was one of the 12 minor prophets of the Old Testament, and even though he lived like 2,600 years ago, about 630 B.C., uh, the headlines of his day, they really weren't that much different. Um, some of his that headlines were greed in the marketplace, violence and injustice, <clears throat> certain groups of people being abused by those in power, hypocritical religious leaders, and so on. 
So when Habakkuk, when he saw the brokenness of the, and the evil of the world, he asked God questions like, why? How long will you put up with this, God? When will you do something about this? And if you've been tracking with us over the course of the semester, we, we looked at the minor prophet Amos and Micah, and their main message was, do justice. Courageously fight evil. Be an agent of good and righteousness. And, and of course, Habakkuk would absolutely agree with those messages, Amos and Micah. But that's not his main theme. His main theme is faith. You know, persevering faith. Trusting that God is good despite the fact that we do live in a world full of evil and sin. So the focus isn't on being an agent of good in an evil world. Instead, Habakkuk's focus is on having faith in a good God in an evil world. So that's the title for our talk tonight, Persevering Faith. So tonight, the plan is, it's a twofold plan. We're going to walk through Habakkuk and hear the story. It's actually a conversation with God. And then we'll highlight some lessons that come out, three lessons that come out of the Habakkuk story, three lessons for us today. So um, turning to the next slide, we have um, Habakkuk, he makes his first complaint with God. I have, um, Josh is going to play the role of Habakkuk tonight, so if this is still on, or if we can make this come on, you can have a seat, Josh, and just read. Sorry. Yeah. So listen to, this is Habakkuk's first complaint to God. Prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed. Justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous. <coughs> justice is perverted. Good. So that's Habakkuk speaking to God. Nice, Josh. Actually, you can just put it down. Um, <coughs> Habakkuk, he begins with things at home. He's looking around him. He lives in Jerusalem, Judah. Um, and he says to God, Lord, look at your people. These are your people, the Israelites. These are people who should know better. How can you allow them to do such wrong, to cause pain and to inflict suffering and evil on others? And you're not doing anything about it. Habakkuk is frustrated with God. This is, this is the first opening verses of, the, of, of his book. And he's not only frustrated with God, but he lets God know it. Um, the SV title has it right. It says, you know, the, the, the heading is Habakkuk's complaint. He's complaining to God. He accuses God of playing deaf right there in verse 2. You know, how long must I call for help, O Lord? But you don't listen. And he also accuses God of not caring as he should, right there in verses 2 and 3. Why don't you save? Why do you tolerate all this wrongdoing? So from Habakkuk's perspective, God is far too patient, far too patient, far too tolerant of people's sinful ways, allowing evil to happen. Habakkuk wants to know, when is God going to rise up and to punish the evil like he should? So God hears Habakkuk. And then God responds, and so tonight, so Josh is playing Habakkuk for us tonight, and tonight Laura S. is going to play God. <laughs> so, it's like, and your mom says, you know, hey, what, what, what are you doing, PF? You can say, well, mom, I'm, I'm God. There you go. 
so go ahead and thank you, Robbie. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people, who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own wants. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. <clears throat> their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. By building earthen ramps, they capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on, guilty people whose own strength is their God. Great. Yeah, you just. Just put it down. That's good. <clears throat> so Habakkuk asks God, what, what's your plan to deal with this evil in Judah? And God reveals his plan. He says, right, like you can go back to verse 6, Robbie, actually. He says, okay, my plan, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, also known as the Babylonians. That's my plan, God says. I'm going to use them to discipline and judge my people who have forgotten me and who are doing evil. And this is a really hard answer for Habakkuk to hear. He knows that this, and he knows this is no empty threat because the northern kingdom of Israel, about you know, about 130 years prior, they, they at the hands of Assyria, they got taken into captivity. So God did that to their northern neighbors, and he, he's willing to do the same to them. And the, the, so the clock is ticking, and the Babylonian army will come soon to the city of Jerusalem. In fact, just the, this prophecy that God gives through Habakkuk, it all comes true, sort of the swiftness that the Babylonians come. Look at the map, the very next yeah, slide. So like in 626, the Babylonians captured Babylon. Um, and then in 612, they captured Nineveh. And in 606, they captured Carchemish. And then the Assyrian <laughs> Empire, which was the strongest empire in the Middle East, that fell to the hands of the Babylonians. But the, the swiftness that they took control, just, just in a couple of decades, they took control of the entire Fertile Crescent. Now we're going back to like your sixth grade geography class. And the reason why the Fertile Crescent is so important, strategically, you may know why, it's because there's a desert right here. And if you want to capture all of this, you, I mean, you don't want to rock your army through a desert, so you, you, know, you go this way. And so th this is what God is saying to, to Habakkuk. Look, the Babylonians, yeah, they're intent on world domination, and, and they're doing that out of their own will. But it's not just them alone. God is saying to Habakkuk, I'm the one who gave them Babylon in 626. I'm the one who gave them Nineveh in 612. I'm the one who gave them Carchemish in 606. And I'm the one who's going to bring them down here to Jerusalem. I'm raised, I've raised them up for my, the purpose of disciplining and bringing judgment on my people. And Habakkuk hears this, and he's like, how can you do this, God? And uh, actually, go back to the, is it verse 8, maybe? Um, no, no, we, it, it's not here, because this is God talking. It's Habakkuk's response. He hears this, and just listen to what he says. <coughs> Josh. Yeah. Yeah. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. 
Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You have made people like the fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no rule. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net, he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this insult. Oh, no, that's God's response, but hold on. So, yeah, um, if you can go back to verse 13. Let me just put it down, Josh. Habakkuk, he hears God say this, and his, his, one of his big responses is, God, how can you allow the wicked Babylonians swallow up a people more righteous than them? Like, how can you use a wicked people as your tool of justice for a people who aren't as wicked as them? Habakkuk admits Judah's not righteous, but she's not as bad as Babylon. In fact, um, Habakkuk can't even say the word Babylonians or Chaldeans. If you look at verse 12, O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. Um, and he's, he's struggling with this. How can a God who is too pure to look on evil use a sinful people as his rod of discipline upon a nation that's more righteous than them? Habakkuk doesn't quite say it, but he comes really close. He's almost saying, you know, this is not fair. This is not just. This is not right. And God's ways are not making sense to Habakkuk right now. And the where, where it ends, actually, yeah. Habakkuk, he climbs to the highest point in Jerusalem. He says, I'll go stand my watch. I go to the ramparts. It's like the top of Jerusalem. And he says, I'm going to plop down, and I'm going to wait and see what God has to say about my latest complaint. Like, how can God do this? And so he just waits there. And then God does answer him. And here, let's just pass this down. Lord, go ahead. And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits the appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Good. Just leave that up there, Robbie. So God commands Habakkuk to persevere, you know, in this message and vision that's given in, in verse 2. You know, by, by, and he says, write it down, record it on tablets. These are like baked clay tablets so that they would last for a long time. And then he talks about running with it. Um, you know, this idea being that, okay, you're a herald now. Run with this message and, and go fast and spread the word, speak the news to others. Well, what is this good news? It, it's, it's verse three. It says, it hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. There's a lot of it's. It will surely come. It will not delay. I think there's six it's total. Um, but you get the sense of, okay, this is, this is moving swiftly, panting like a runner for the finish line. It's hastens, it hastens to the end, right? And it will death, whatever the it is, it will definitely come true. Um, it will not lie. Okay? 
it will be fulfilled, and it will take longer than you think, but it will come. You know, if it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. So what is this it? I think, in part, it's, okay, Habakkuk says, God, how can you, how can you allow all this, this evil in Judah? And God says, I have a plan for that. I'm raising up the Babylonians. And Habakkuk says, God, how, how can you use the Babylonians? And God says, I have a plan for that. I will bring judgment on them, too. And that's part of what the it is. And in 539, the Babylonians are conquered by um, the Mede-Persian Empire. And it, that's in part what the it is. But it has to be more than that. It has to be sort of the God overcoming all evil definitively, completely. That, that's really what's at the base and at the bottom of Habakkuk's desire and complaint. He wants to see God do that. So in the meantime, God says, um, yes, one day that will happen. It will surely happen. You can wait for it. But in the meantime, wait for it. And the righteous, and this is it right here, the righteous shall live by his faith or her faith. That short verse, the righteous shall live by faith, it just sparkles like a diamond in the midst of a lot of soot. That's, what, that's how one person put it. Um, this is the key verse to Habakkuk. And not just the key verse to Habakkuk, but it's really a key verse in Scripture. The New Testament writers quote this verse three times. It's in Romans 1. I know a lot of you are familiar with that. Galatians 3 and Hebrews 10. God wants his people to have persevering faith, faith that believes in him, that he exists and that he is good, even in the midst of evil in this world. And so moving now to the lessons that Habakkuk teaches us. Number one, evil is real, but God can use it to accomplish his purposes. God basically tells Habakkuk that he can use evil to accomplish his good purposes in the world. And I, I mean, when you hear that, for Habakkuk, this, this was the case, and it is for us too, it, it is enough to stretch all of our theological categories. This is really challenging. That somehow God's sovereignty, his power is so great that he's able to even use human sin and human evil for his purposes. God didn't force the Babylonians to assume sort of role of world conqueror. That was their own goal. But God allowed them to do what they themselves wanted to do, and God even used that for his purposes. Yes, their actions were sinful, and they'll be held accountable for it by God. <laughs> and God, he, he used them to, to punish his own people for their rebellion, and Habakkuk agreed with that. He wanted to, God to bring that judgment. But he could even use human evil to, to fulfill his purposes. Uh, God doesn't do evil, but he can use evil. And this is not an easy truth. It is a really hard truth. And it's a truth like Habakkuk. It's, it can send us reeling. It's hard to accept. It's hard to understand. I mean, it would, uh, I was thinking about this. It would be like God judging the U.S. See, now, the thing is, is that with Habakkuk, we get a little window into how this played out in history with sort of the Judah and, and the Babylonians we don't typically get these kind of windows into things. We, God doesn't sort of have these conversations with us that he had with Habakkuk. So you have to be really careful about, you know, interpreting world events as to like, okay, this is what God is definitely doing, right? But it would be like, you know, in terms of stretching our categories, if God looks at the United States and he says, I see people who, who, who have, they have a lot of violence and there's a lot of greed and materialism. 
And so I'm going to raise up a nation that's even more violent, more greedy than the United States, and they're going to come and they're going to overtake and, and rule the United States. Like, something like that would just really stretch our categories of how can God do that? And this is what Habakkuk is wrestling with. Like, how can God allow this to happen? How can he judge that way? And part of what I think makes this really hard for us is that we feel like God is just far too patient with evil. And again, I've been thinking about this a lot this week, too. I think there's a part of us that wants God to be hyperactive and and to quash all evil before it ever happens. Like To us, that makes more sense than being patient and allowing evil to happen and then even using that evil for his purposes. But, but I, because I've been thinking about this this week, I, I thought about the, the alternative. And it has its challenges too. Let me explain. What if God had absolutely no patience with any of us when it came to evil? Right? For example, and you know, this is a, a humorous example, but it, it, I'll make them real. Right as we're about to send a really angry, hurtful tweet, God doesn't allow us to do that evil, but he immediately intervenes. Maybe he makes our device disappear, like poof, it's gone, right? Or maybe he, doesn't, he takes away our voice so we can't talk for a year or silent, so we can't speak and offend and hurt other people. God did that. He did that to Zachariah, Elizabeth's husband, um, he did that to him, not because of what he said um, in terms of he didn't say something in anger, but he doubted and laughed at God. And so God took away his voice for a season of time. His judgment was immediate upon Zechariah. Um, or, you know, another example is, is, you know, whenever we swell with pride, we view ourselves too highly. We look down on others. Whatever gift we have that makes us do that, what if God just immediately just took that gift away? Or, you know, if you were jealous or envious and God says, well, okay, I see that. So, you know what, whatever you're envious of, you'll never get it. Like, what what if there was no patience? And God did that in terms of pride, if you remember Nebuchadnezzar, right? Like, look look at this great, mighty kingdom that I have built. And then immediately... God took one of his gifts away. God took his mind away, and he started roaming the countryside like an animal until he repented. Um, you know, we remember Ananias and Sapphira. They lied at church about how much money they actually gave, and God gave them a, a, a severe consequence. They died on the spot. What if every time we deceived or cheated or broke a promise, you know, the consequences were immediately severe on us? My, my point in, in raising this, I've been thinking about the alternative there are times when God does immediately act in the face of evil. He swiftly brings judgment. But I think all of us would say, thank God, he's frequently and typically much more patient with us when we do evil. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. Can you imagine what our lives would be like if God had absolutely no patience with us every time we stepped into and did evil? So God is not obligated to be gracious and patient, but he often is. And, and then, then that's the rub the other direction. The fact that God is patient with us and allows evil to happen, that's, it, it begins to stretch us and pose difficulties in that direction too. But my point in bringing up some of these examples as I submit to you is that no matter how it would work out, when there's evil, 
like we will have complaints and problems and difficulties regardless of the situations. So the bottom line is, is whether God is patient with evil and postpones judgment or whether he judges evil immediately. Both of those are very hard for us to accept. And the call like for Habakkuk and for us is that we live in a world where God allows evil, but that God is still good and he is still sovereign over it and he can actually use that for his purposes. How can God do that? I, I don't know. I can't explain how God can do that in every situation. Evil is a potent and harsh reminder that this world is very broken and desperately needs a savior. But when evil has its day, we have to remember that God is over it. Yes, he will judge it, but he can use it for his purposes. And God gave a window into that truth for Habakkuk to see that that's what he was up to with the Babylonians. And and we might not be able to see that with the evil around us. It might be very dark, very difficult. But to remember that that truth still stands as hard as it is to believe. So that's the first lesson. The second one is that God triumphs over evil by subjecting his son to human evil. And you can't help but think of this when you know the Christian message. I mean, you fast forward 600 years after Habakkuk, and you, know, you begin to watch a scene unfold, right? This, a scene of, you know, there's a couple of false witnesses. They take their stand in court, and they tell lies to an already rigged, prejudiced jury. And you might say, why, why would God allow that? Or the powerful elite in that same scene condemn a man. The condemnation is not based on truth and evidence, but it's based on their prejudices, on their biases. And you say, well, why would God allow that? And then there are soldiers there standing in a circle around the same innocent man. His hands are tied behind his back. His eyes are blindfolded. They strike him. They spit on him. They place a crown of thorns on his head. And again, you might say, well, why would God allow that? And then they lead this man off to die where he's taunted by the very people that he was healing and serving and loving just days before. Again, why would God allow that? And then this man dies in agony. He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Strangely familiar to Habakkuk's opening complaint. God, it seems like you've forsaken us. And again, why would God allow that? And if Habakkuk were witnessing that scene some 600 years later, he would probably say once again to God, God, why are you silent? Right there, the wicked are swallowing him up, and this one is more righteous than them. Indeed, this one is completely righteous. And it's, it's like right there, that scene, that lies God's greatest response to human evil and sin. That God subjects his own son to the evil of this world so that evil would be destroyed on the cross once and for all, finally, definitively. That God allows evil to have its day, to have its way, and he uses that evil, again, to accomplish his great purposes. The cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is God's message to the world that he has dominion over evil. He has defeated it. And then it's through that that we now have great hope. I just, you know, 
God doesn't triumph over evil by sending a huge army of angels. That's what I would have done if I was God. You know, just send a big army of angels and just crush evil on the earth or a big lightning bolt. I, I, but God doesn't do that. He doesn't stand on the sidelines and do that. Instead, God triumphs over evil by stepping into our world through the person of the Son who suffers with us and takes on our sin and evil upon himself at the cross. And so then you come back to like this theme of Habakkuk, like can you and I have faith in that kind of God? Can we trust a God who would do that for us? Yes, we can. And so when we see evil and we think, God, how can you still be good? How can you be real and present here with us? We have to look at Jesus at the cross and step in the direction of faith and remember that. It is totally natural for us to see evil and to say to God, God, why? How long? How can you put up with this? But if we want to grow in faith, we have to keep coming back to that basic truth that Christ suffered with us and for us. We have to keep coming back to that basic truth that it is through his death and his resurrection that he has triumphed over evil over death, over sin, suffering. And one day, he really will wipe away all of our tears. All the tears from our eyes will be wiped away. There'll be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying or pain, no more evil, and the old order of things will pass away. And until then, and this is the third and final lesson, until then, we live by faith and not by sight. So we come back to Habakkuk 2.4. You know, the righteous will live by her faith, by his faith. Our human history may be dominated by the powers of Babylon, so to speak, injustice, evil, suffering, but God is in control. He's accomplishing his purposes, and it will be very, very difficult to believe at times. But even so, the righteous will live by faith and not by sight. The man or woman of faith keeps trusting God even in the midst of darkness confusion and great trouble. I've heard one, somebody once say, sometimes God puts his children to bed in the dark. Such was the case for Habakkuk, and sometimes it will be the case for us. But even then, the man or woman of faith depends and leans on God. You know where the book of Habakkuk ends? It ends with Habakkuk worshiping God. <clears throat> the prophet asked his questions. He raised his complaints. God answered him. And now Habakkuk responds in faith, and he praises his God. It's, it's one of the great confessions of the Bible. Here, I'll read it. Habakkuk says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls, so complete agricultural devastation. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. So Habakkuk imagines the most unimaginable circumstances, the worst circumstances, total devastation and hardship for an agrarian society. And then he says to God, even if everything goes wrong and everything I have is stripped away, here's my position. I will trust in you. I will find my joy in you, knowing that you are still my Savior. Even when God takes away his blessings, 
Habakkuk still delights in God himself. That is persevering faith. So we don't put our faith in better education, better laws, or better government, or greater technology. Like These things have their place, but we know that those things cannot definitively deal with the evil in this world. Not in a final, definitive way. Instead, our faith is in God, who is always good, who is over evil, and who has defeated evil by subjecting his son to it. So we are not fools, we are not crazy to put our faith in and to trust this very God. We live by faith and not by sight. Let's pray. Dear Lord, you are good, you are faithful, powerful, and patient. You do not treat us as our sins deserve. And you also hate evil. It makes you weep and it stirs you to righteous anger. And you have judged evil at the cross and have pronounced that its days are numbered. And in the meantime, Lord, when we do evil, please forgive us in and through Jesus Christ. And when evil is done around us, help us be agents of good and truth, courageous agents of good and truth to help those around us, And I pray that you would help us trust you and have the faith that you are still good even in this evil world and that you are there and that you are in control. Strengthen my friends here in this kind of faith. Thank you that they're here tonight. Encourage them. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.